I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We are planning your financial future. And if you want to be a part of the discussion, pick up the phone, 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They will get back to you. You can also check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you will find old shows you can listen to and even ask a question there via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good morning, to see you. Scott. Uh, Tax Freedom Day. We're celebrating, Woo-hoo. I guess, yeah. all week. <laughs> How was it? It must have been a great week. <laughs> I know. I Looking know. your heels, going down the hall. <laughs> I didn't notice I had any more extra money in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> well, I must have slept through Tax Freedom Day. <laughs> you, you know, any money you may not have got your first paycheck yet. That's all. That's right. Yeah. Because now everything after um, June the tenth in Ontario mm-hmm. means, on average, for the average family in, in Ontario means that money is now going to yourself. That's right. It's not going to the government. Cool. And so it's worse. It's based on basically the average Canadian family mm-hmm. makes about $108,674, approximately. Okay. No, that's re- There's a Fraser Institute does this every year. And I, I find it remarkable how detailed they get with this, actually. Yeah. And so they look at, this is the average income per family, 108000 So a lot of people think, you know, again, always ask me, well, what's average? You know, mm-hmm. are we doing above average? Well, that's a Canadian average. I would suggest that if you live in Southern Ontario, you need to do a little bit better than that, mm-hmm. just with the, the cost of living is a little higher. Right. Okay. Um, also, taxes are a little bit higher because in Ontario, our Tax Freedom Day isn't the 9th of June like the rest of Canada on average. Mm-hmm. It is the 10th. Now, we're not the worst, though. We're not the worst. Who do you think has the latest Tax Freedom Day? They're still waiting. Uh, I'll guess and say Quebec. You know, you always go with that Quebec. Nova Scotia. Uh, oh, that was my get second. Get warmer. Get warmer. <laughs> it is Newfoundland and Labrador. Oh, okay. Ah, there you go. June the 25th. Come from away. Really? June <laughs> front 25th, yeah. Now, Quebec is right up there. June that won 16th. an award. Yeah. Sorry. That's a great show, by the way. <laughs> Have you uh, seen it? Yes, I did. Oh, really? I had to wait to go to New York and actually go pay twice as much rather than <laughs> when, they're in tr- when they're in Toronto. <laughs> but anybody listening, please go see the show. It's outstanding. It might be the best show I've ever been to. <laughs> really? Yeah, good. Fantastic. Wow. As a little sar- sar- sidebar here. And think how <laughs> it was tax freedom day that got us there. <laughs> no kidding. Hard to believe. <laughs> yep. Um, now, sorry, sorry I interrupted. The least... You know, the earliest to hit tax freedom day, which probably Alberta. Bingo. Yeah. May nineteenth. And that's something. They've been celebrating wow. for three weeks already. <laughs> you know? May nineteenth. BC's uh June sixth. Um the and then again uh, the average across Canada was June 9th. Right. Now this is a day later than last year. Right. And uh not usually a good thing to be a day later. Sure. <laughs> okay, and and basically it's because the tax rate grew across Canada by an average of 2.4%, but the incomes only grew by 22 hmm. So if the taxes grow faster than the incomes, the Tax Freedom Day gets a little longer. Right. Okay. Now, they also have this other stat, which I found very interesting, is on average across Canada, where would they have to say the Tax Freedom Day so that they would balance the budgets? Mm-hmm. And it would be June 18th. So basically, from the 9th to the 18th, they're in a deficit. Mm-hmm. They actually needed to tax those extra nine days just simply to balance the books. Really? Um, and not run into a deficit. So what exactly is Tax Freedom Day? Well, it's basically, so if your income is 108000 on average, you would pay about $47,000 in income tax. Okay? And, not sorry, not income tax, tax. Mm-hmm. And of that, it's a whole litany of taxes that... 
it's actually hard to believe how many taxes you pay. And I'll kind of go through the list here. Right off the bat, you have payroll taxes. They include un- um, employment insurance. Mm-hmm. And uh, it comes off. You have no choice about this. Yeah. Canada Pension Plan is also a payroll tax. Okay. Now, some, some could argue that at least you're going to get a pension you out of this. Get it back, yeah. So you're going to get some money. But in the meantime, it's kind of a tax because you are, it's coming off your pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, sales tax. Track all your purchases. Okay. That's a large one. Import duties. Fuel taxes. Now we all, yeah. and recently we just had another one on top of the fuel taxes. Cap and trade, yeah. Yeah, cap mm-hmm. and trade. Uh, carbon, carbon tax, tax sorry. Carbon tax. Mm-hmm. Um, excess, excise taxes, they're on there. Tobacco and alcohol, they're always a favorite. Mm-hmm. The sin taxes. Um, the ones that I also, that are kind of, and you mentioned, I believe last week, was uh, the license renewals. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, yeah. I think they went up by. User fees, yeah. Yeah, user fees. They're all in there, and that's just pure tax. Mm-hmm. I would actually argue that tickets, from police is mm-hmm. almost a tax mm-hmm. because where they're, you know, kind of ca- cash grabs or they stop lights mm-hmm. where they have them. Compliance um, is free though, Don. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> or even the sticker Compl- on your car. If you don't have your sticker <laughs> for a month and you get it, that's just another form of tax. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're, I know how much help they're, they're actually enforcing a tax is yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. So there's a tax on a tax. Mm-hmm. Um, airport tax. You know, yeah. they actually had one time at the airport. It says, we're going to give you this ticket for one cent, but it's still going to cost you $109. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they wanted to show why Toronto was so expensive. Oh, like hotel and destination taxes, right? Yeah. 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 Same idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Health taxes. They're all in there. Property taxes, uh, as Property we know. Property taxes. That's a biggie. Mm-hmm. That's a biggie. Um, one we don't often think of uh, in this area is the national resource fees. Mm-hmm. Okay. One that is not on the list, which I thought should be, but it's on average, it should be prorated anyway, is the state taxes. Mm-hmm. It's not on the list. So there's- That's all, a big one. And it's huge. But uh, even there's even things like environmental, you go and buy anything electronic, there's an environmental $5 tax, tax on environmental that. Environmental tax. Yeah. Uh, tire tax. Take your, I was going to say, you take your tires back or yeah. get your, you have to get new mm-hmm. tires. You got to pay a tire tax for yeah. disposal of your tires. Yeah. It, come, it comes everywhere. Yeah, that's true. Huh. Yeah, there's not too many places you can get away with them. Now, every every province is a little different, and that's kind of the interesting part. The the income, for example, in Ontario, uh, would be about the average income was 111,000, mm-hmm. a little higher than the average in Canada of 108,000. Income tax was 15,000. Payroll and health taxes were 10. Oh, okay. So you don't even think about these taxes. They're they're just off your paycheck. Yeah. You just know you're not getting much of that paycheck, right? Yeah. Sales taxes were about eight grand, seventy nine hundred. Property taxes, on average, were five thousand dollars. Now, mm-hmm. to put that in perspective, that is way over every other province. Hmm. It's not even close. The next closest was BC at forty five hundred, which you can understand what their, yeah. how high the real estate is. Yeah. Um, Alberta's forty five hundred. Yeah. The average in Canada is forty two hundred. Almost a thousand dollars less is the average, mm-hmm. and that average includes Ontario. Hmm. So if you take Ontario out, we are literally a thousand higher than the other provinces in in uh, property taxes. Well, you pay a lot in Ontario if you're waterfront, mm-hmm. for sure. If mm-hmm. you're in cottage country, mm-hmm. uh, you know the Muskokas get hit yeah. pretty hard on the property taxes, and uh, but then you get into rural areas and it falls right off to yeah. a, to a yeah. more normal mm-hmm. rate of tax. But yeah, you definitely there's a lot of valuable property here. That's yeah, and uh, Newfoundland Lab- Labrador on the opposite end is only 2000 is the average mm. property tax. So, uh, and again, it, it, house values have part of it. But again, 
at the end of the day, it's a pot of money that is being used to help service the cities. Yeah. yeah. And they yes. simply dist- distribute <clears throat> this money according mm-hmm. to how valuable your house is. Um, then you keep going down here. There's a liquor taxes and amusement, oh, yeah. and also cigarette I guess, tax, cigarette sin tax. taxes. I would even say, uh, you know, things such as lottery tickets are a tax. Mm-hmm. There'll be okay. a marijuana tax soon. Oh, yeah. indeed, that yeah. will be in there. Yeah. There's $2,100 for those. The motor fuel motor vehicle licenses and carbon taxes are 1400 a year. And import duties are 377 So at the end of the day, it all works out to about 48000 a year in Ontario on an income of 111000 so well, now I'm depressed, Don. <laughs> <laughs> and you wonder why Annie and I do everything possible to try to save as much tax as we can. Yeah, you know, honestly, that's where we can add the most value because we don't control the markets or the interest rates. Mm-hmm. We we try to get people to invest in a certain area that makes the most sense um, based on their comfort zone, based on what they can, their volatility, their age, their goals, what the money's for. But tax is something we can definitely can save. Mm-hmm. and make a difference. And estate tax is even more so. Yeah, um, That's a big one. And I certainly dealing with a lot of uh, my clients. I've been here for 31 years. Some of these people I met at 50 are now 80, right? Yeah. And all yeah. of a sudden, wow, uh, yeah. we were just saving for retirement not long ago. See, and now we're looking at estate planning. Yeah. Um, what's interesting though, is there's a big difference between average tax bracket and, and um, marginal tax bracket. Mm-hmm. So yeah. first, first of all, if you're making you know, whatever, let's say $100,000 a year as an argument. You're paying, actually 90000 here's a good example, $92,000 a year, the average tax bracket is 23%, mm-hmm. okay? However, you're in a marginal tax bracket of 43%. So every dollar you make over that, you're 43 cents of that's going to the government, mm-hmm. okay? The interesting thing is what this Fraser Institute did is they did the marginal tax brackets based on all these other taxes included too. Because that, that was just simply an income tax, mm-hmm. okay? So if we include all the other taxes, and you have now gone into the highest marginal tax rate in Canada, the highest average is now 68.2%. Yikes. And so that is the Sorry, top- Sorry, that's, that's a death? That, or no, no. Just saying total income? That's the top 10th, that's the top 10% oh, of our population- Over how in much? In Canada. Um, it didn't say, just the top okay. 10% of the earners. Mm-hmm. Right. They are paying at a marginal tax bracket of 68.2. Oh and all taxes. That's in. why we should tax the rich more. <laughs> yeah. Like we're not already doing that, right? <laughs> 68.2. Call it 70%. We're they got 32% available. Yeah. So let's <laughs> skim away some of that. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's absolutely. And, and their average tax bracket is already 57%. Yeah. So it's quite interesting when you look at the, the brackets and they already showed that the highest income earners, the top 20%, are paying 56% of the taxes, mm-hmm. okay? Where the bottom- It just makes for good politics though, you know? Yeah, you know, absolutely. At the end of the day, right? Yeah, so yes, the top 20% pays 55.9% of all taxes um, while earning about 48% of the income. The other end of the spectrum, the bottom 20% of income earners, are paying 1.8% of all the taxes, okay? Despite earning 5% of the income. Mm-hmm. So without question, there is a, you know, and this is a socialistic country we're in where, you know, the rich are paying more yeah. than their fair They're share. They're paying their share, yeah. By <clears throat> a large margin already. Mm-hmm. And the ones that aren't, obviously aren't paying that, that high. So 
it's quite interesting when they break down. Now, I did hear there was another governing body saying how we are not that highly taxed. It came out a couple of weeks ago and refuting the Fraser Institute. And it was a, more of a left-wing party. Yeah, yeah. And saying how we pay about 25% tax. I have no idea how they got that number. Because if you make 90, 90 grand a year, you're already paying about 23% tax. Mm-hmm. And the average family makes about 108000 So I still, I read through their article. It made no sense to me. It, it didn't, it absolutely didn't, I couldn't add up their figures. So at the end of the day, yes, we are fairly highly taxed. And what we can do as financial planners is work on a strategic plan so we can minimize that for you every year. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can leave a message now at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Check out their website, andyanddon.com. That's all one word, andyanddon.com. And you can call now and leave a message, 905-529-7165. We're talking about Tax Freedom Day. Yes, just finishing up here. The uh, It was kind of interesting for those uh, like numbers. Um, if you had to go back in time and said, when was their earliest Tax Freedom Day? Hmm. And I guess you'd look at when it was the least amount of tax. I guess at least when they start figuring out this date. 1961, hmm. the Tax Freedom Day was May 3rd. And hmm. now it is June 9th. So we're working a full extra month mm-hmm. and a bit to pay taxes. Right. Okay. And one thing is it's absolutely incredible the reach of taxes. There isn't anything, any stone left unturned practically yeah. that isn't taxed. Mm-hmm. Even the advisory fees or a lawyer fee to get a will done. Mm-hmm. Um, everything has another tax on it now. And so it's all adding to a decrease in living. Yeah. Now, at the other hand, we have been worse than we are now. And I guess the worst was uh, year 2000. Our tax freedom day was June 25th. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Almost a full six months. How do I remember that. that. We should go back in the radio archives. We'll, we'll probably talked about that 15 yeah. years ago. How do you yeah. explain that? <laughs> well, it's interesting. They, they, they were actually saying there's too many, um, too many reasons that uh, there's a tax freedom that de- gets longer is when the um, economy is starting to get recover. Mm-hmm. They uh, start to, the incomes have started to rise. Right. Okay. And with in- incomes going up, your taxes are going up and right. you're buying more goods. Right. And you're, so you're paying more in sales taxes. Right. So there's almost this gluttony. So it's a, a sign of good times. It is actually a sign of good times yeah. temporarily right. when the tax freedom day starts to go up, mm-hmm. um, which I never looked at it that way. The other point that was made was, and, and, it was, and they didn't include this in the, in the tax freedom day, but they actually said that when the employer is paying for the EI, and the employment insurance and the Canada Pension Plan, that is actually another tax for all the citizens all the, in, in Canada. Mm-hmm. The reason is, is because who are, whatever they are producing or making, it's, it's added to the cost it of that good. It has to be factored into yeah. the price of the goods. Right. Mm-hmm. So that cost of whatever that good is, is now increased by the payroll taxes that he had to pay. Mm-hmm. So this is all factored in. And again, we, I know we've talked, I believe, uh, recently there's been talk of uh, increasing minimum wage. Yeah. And if minimum wage, wage goes <clears> up, um, it, there's a whole lot of issues with that. But it was never meant, I don't believe, for anybody to have a fantastic living. No. Okay. It was meant to kind of get your foot in the door 
Yeah, I've, I've had this discussion with many professors and, and experts over the last several weeks, and 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 what I, what they say has changed as in the days when these were all considered starter jobs, and that we would move on to other things. Now, because there are no, uh, there doesn't seem to be op- the opportunity that there once was. That now more people are relying on these jobs. So, what's the answer? Is the answer to increase the opportunity so they can advance beyond their minimum wage mm-hmm. job, or do you take a minimum wage job? And create a scenario where you can earn, you can make a living out of it, or you have to work seventy hours a week out of yeah, it. Yeah, right. exactly. exactly. Yeah. And so again, no different than payroll taxes. By increasing minimum wage, that increases the price of goods, mm-hmm. which increases the cost, of course. Mm-hmm. And and actually, everybody's living standards actually drop yeah. because of that. So so it's actually very interesting when what uh, the Fraser Institute does. I don't think you're going to get the politicians slicing this up so much no. because they don't really want us to know that the higher the top 10% are paying in a marginal tax bracket of 68%. Hmm. And so, so based on this, the biggest tax rate now and the biggest cash grab, and we've talked about this uh, in fair, fair discussions over the lot of shows, is estate taxes. Mm-hmm. And and how they're you know you're at that fifty three and a half percent tax bracket if you make over two hundred twenty thousand, and I know Andy doesn't want to see you squandering that inheritance. That's right, exactly. So. Uh, and that's what I want to talk about next. Are you are you worried that your kids are going to squander their inheritance? I'm worried my parents are. Ah. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Oh, you only wish that yes, they'll be they'll exactly. be happy. Yeah. Uh, well, apparently the the baby boomers are about set to pass down thirty trillion dollars mm-hmm. in assets wow. and to their kids, their beloved kids, and but there many of them are kind of worried about how they're going to handle this money and are they going to be able to deal with it or is it going to get squandered? How the kids are going to handle exactly. it. Exactly. Right. And, you know, so the baby boomers are sort of hitting, getting close to their 70s now, and, and the, the concept of their estate is becoming a little more awareness in terms of the value of their estate and some of the strategies, but also about how their lifestyle is going to be in terms of spending, how much they're going to be using of their estate. There's typically always something left over. Mm-hmm. And thirty trillion is the is the estimated amount that's going to be passing down to the next generation. the 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 fascinating thing is the the research tells us that inheritances dwindle significantly in the first few years. So for anybody receiving an inheritance, if they can sort of get through the the bump the first couple of years without dwindling it or blowing mm. it, then they're probably on a better course at the end of the day. There's, mm. there's chances of actually being able to keep it for the long term are much better. Uh, Ohio State University found that one in three Americans, one third of Americans who get an inheritance have negative savings within two years. Negative wow. savings within two years. Yikes. So mm. uh, They've incorporated that pretty quick into their... Exactly. <laughs> boy, did their they have, boy, did they have fun, though. <laughs> so children often uh, blow their... And we're talking about adult children, mm-hmm. right? But children blow... Uh, sometimes blow their inheritance because they don't know enough about money. Manage, management is probably one of the key things. And it's tempting to spend a check, you know, with lots of zeros yeah, on it. Yeah. And most people, I'm guessing, have never acquired that kind of wealth in one fell swoop. Yes, so yeah. w- what do you do with it? And then there's a small group of people on the sort of the, the other end of the spectrum who receive an inheritance and are paralyzed by it and really don't know what to do yeah. and end up 
sticking it in a bank account or won't even touch it yeah. because there's maybe guilt associated with it or, you mm. know, the, the passing of a loved one is, you know, why do I have their money? And, right. and so that part of it as well. So one of the things that you that we have to do, and this is staggering, 50% of Canadians still don't have a valid will. Yeah. And without a valid will, you're at the mercy of the government in terms of how this money is going to be distributed. It's going to end up in the hands of your, your adult children without any strings attached, which might be okay if you feel that they're competent and able to handle it. But it, it puts you at risk in terms of that squandering for sure. So you know, protecting that sort of your life savings from being squandered. We all know some of our kids are better at this than others. And we know which ones might need a little more, uh, help in terms of keeping their hand out of the pot, or at least making it last a little longer. Uh, so there's a number of different strategies that I think to prevent that squandering from happen. And the first one we'll talk about is the trust and a testamentary trust. So this is a trust that's created at the, at your death. And again, it has to be put in a will. Mm-hmm. So let me just come back to that will for a second, because really today for a couple uh, of, of average wealth that are going to go and put together a power of attorney, uh, a, a, dra- a will drafted by a, a lawyer, a professional, you're probably looking in the range of $500. Mm-hmm. And if it's more complicated, it involves a trust that might boost, or you have more complicated scenario that might boost it up to $1,000. Uh, and yes, as Don said, there is tax on that yeah. HST for the <laughs> services of using the lawyer. Yeah, right. But, um, I tell you, it's <clears throat> just money well spent. I know there's will kits out there. Some people argue a will kit's better than nothing at all. Uh, but as I talk to most estate lawyers, they make all their, they don't make a living doing wills at 500 bucks a pop yeah. or a thousand bucks a pop. They make a living fixing will kit wills where families are arguing (laughs) and fighting over money. That's where they make their tens of thousands of dollars is in legal billing hours for Mm. that. And they've even said, I've had the same conversation where they say, you know, a handwritten will Mm. is, is will have less problems than a will kit. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that something? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, But the will is the place to start. So honestly, if, if anything for this summer or your goal before the end of this year, Mark it down, put it on a calendar somewhere. We will update our wills mm-hmm. or we will get a will if we don't have one. Yeah. Make it make a commitment to that. So in your will, you can include the provision for a trust. And a trust maintains control of your assets by stating exactly um who the trustees are going to be, so who's going to be looking after the money. It decides which beneficiaries are going to receive money from the trust and and uh, and when. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it may include a schedule of payments to be set up, for example. Like maybe you just want to create an income stream. So it's definitely probably the simplest and most effective way to make sure that your intentions and how your money's spent are going to be followed through. And... Uh, and it's really not that complicated. So essentially, if you had, for example, $200,000 that you were planning to leave to each of your children, uh, you figured that's going to be roughly the amounts, then that money, instead of going directly to them, would be held in an account in trust for them. So in this case, let's say it's the, um, uh, the Lister Family Trust. Mm-hmm. And that trust then specifies 
the children as beneficiaries, and how that money is going to be paid out to them. So I need somebody, I need to hire somebody when we're gone that's going to look after that trust. It could be a family member, it could be a trusted friend, it could even be a lawyer or a trust service, and each of those will have different costs associated with it. But every year, the trust will file a tax return. It's called a T3 tax return instead of a T1 general, which is what we all file when we do our normal taxes. Mm -hmm. T3 trust return is filed each year. It reports the income that's 200 grand earned, and it pays tax on that income. But it gets to subtract from its income whatever was paid to the beneficiaries. Mm -hmm. So if the trust made 10%, made 20 grand, and you paid out 20 grand, the trust has no income and therefore pays no tax. Mm. The tax would be paid in the hands of the children. Okay. Now, the the, where this can get bogged down is where you don't have a trustee or a person that you can attach to this to look after it for your kids or your adult children. Um, so, and I see people often get bogged down in the whole will process because they can't think of who would be an appropriate executor, who would be the trustee that we can use. So one strategy that you could think about for your will is to purchase an annuity. And so in this concept, instead of the 200000 going into a trust and somebody's looking after it <clears throat> and sending money to the beneficiaries every year, the 200000 is used to purchase a life annuity for the beneficiary. Mm-hmm. And now what you've done is you've locked in an income stream right. for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And it's very tax efficient, actually, because mm-hmm. the amount of tax you pay on a life annuity, the interest and the tax is spread out over your normal mor- mortality. So if you're expected to live another 30 years, the interest is spread out over 30 years. It minimizes the tax. But what it does is it takes the opportunity for that individual to blow the 200 grand. It mm-hmm. takes it off the table. Yeah. And it creates a future income stream for them for the rest of their life. Are, do many people do this sort of thing or trust when they have adult children? I can see when their kids are... Are probably 16, 17, 18, 19, up to 25, 30. Yes. Once they become over 30, is there really the need for this? Or can, are there lots that still say, no, even through adulthood, I want to control their money? Yeah, I think that, the you know, as baby boomers and our, and our parents, that they've all worked hard to accumulate money. Mm-hmm. They've worked hard to minimize tax, save it, put away money. And now they're thinking, uh, this is going to pass to the next generation um, I, I want to see it create value yeah. or, or add value instead of problems. Instead of the, one just big yeah. spending spree. So it can be a one-off. So you might have one child where you do feel, you know, there's specific issues. For example, uh, the purpose of a Henson trust, which would be for somebody who has a disability mm-hmm. or is on social assistance, receiving benefits through that. You want to protect the access to those benefits. So a Henson trust allows them to continue to receive government benefits while still can benefit from uh, right. uh, basically an, an income stream from a trust. Um, but a lot of uh, the, the, a lot of parents are worried about marriage breakdown. Yeah. And so the, the common question or concern is, so if we die, this goes to our children and they get divorced, what happens then? Right. And so the trust is a fantastic way to insulate your son or daughter from the pressures that will come upon them in a relationship. And it happens all the time mm-hmm. where spouses are looking at each other and a pile of money that was received as an inheritance as the saving grace, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about this is the, our kids will squander it. Yeah. And they'll squander it by commingling it and it basically starts to lose its identity. Mm-hmm. And then the money ends up if, in a future divorce, half of it goes to the ex 
But generally, um, in divorce situations, is the person that receives the inheritance not protected? So in other words, uh, yeah, you know, you're right. You're right. You're if, right. If, if the husband's parents die, he receives the, the, the money, the, the wife or the marriage doesn't? That's in the, in as long as the person who received the inheritance has kept the money separate right. and distinct right. from all the other family assets. For example, if he decided to take that or she decided to take that and put it towards the mortgage, then it becomes you're both. done. Okay. Yeah, it's right. now fifty fifty. Really, uh, and you know, it, and typically, a lot of times we'll see the scenario where the money is received as an inheritance. They do keep it separate and distinct. But over time, it gets whittled away. Yeah. And over time, and maybe that's an okay thing, you know, if you've been, if you're married for 30, 40 years and it's, you've commingled it all, what the heck, you know, you've both put in time and effort in the relationship. So in the sense, should you, you know, if, if you're, if you're say 50 years old, a parent, a parents pass away, the inheritance comes into the, the male. Yes. Should he or... Uh, it doesn't matter what gender it is. Should yep. he keep that separate from has to. the family? He has to. Has to. How do you do that in a marriage? Yeah. That's my point. That's the problem. The way you do it is by your, if your parents created a trust, then it's out of your so hands. that you could never touch it. Uh, in, okay. fa- in fact, this past week, um, and I'm not sure, I'm sure Andy does the same, is uh, look at staggered ages. Mm-hmm. Yes. In terms of the will. Yeah. So we were just talking about this and said, well, how would you like to have your 18 year old yeah. inherit a million dollars right now? Yeah. And, uh, he says, well, he's not 18. Well, assuming he is because yeah. it would go in trust. The law mm-hmm. says it will go in trust until they're 18 yeah. and then they get the money. Yeah. And so uh, we, we talked about, no, there's no way. He says, well, to protect against the marriage also, it's not their money. And we're looking at saying, well, give them a third at 25, mm-hmm. a third at 30, and mm-hmm. a third at 35. Yeah. Yeah. And that not only protects the marriage, but also gives them a, a second chance in case they do squander. <laughs> they only lose, just a, saying, only lose a third instead of two thirds. You got it. <laughs> There's two more parts of this discussion I want to talk about when we come back. All right. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can reach them now. Call 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They will get back to you. And you can also check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message at 905 905- Five five two nine seventy one sixty five, and don't forget to check out the website andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're talking about squandering the inheritance. Yeah, and you know what? Again, everybody I talk to, we you have worked hard, you've accumulated, you've sacrificed, and you've built up wealth, and now you're thinking, how do I pass this to the next generation most effectively? Mm-hmm. And so we've been talking about the strategies with respect to the will. Well, what about gifting? What about gifting while you're alive? And does that make sense? Yeah. And and there's pros and cons to this. The first, obviously, one, you need to talk to a financial planner to make sure the analysis has been done because you don't want to give away too much. Yeah. You need to know how much do I need for myself yeah. first. What and can you and afford? Really, pardon mm-hmm. me? What you can afford. Yeah. What can yeah. you afford? In other words, I don't want to outlive my money. Mm-hmm. So let's deal with that question first. All right. Now we can see generally what's left over. And, and I find that as clients, you know, maybe when you first retire and you're 65, you're not shelling out lots of money, you know, here's, here's 50 grand, here's 50 grand. But as you get into your seventies or your eighties, you're absolutely thinking about that because now you can see, okay, yeah, it's starting to sink in that we have enough and it makes sense. How much can we actually gift? But gifting is, um, I think gifting is an opportunity. The benefits are that you can see 
the results right away. Right. And you have some opportunity to give a little bit of guidance, but I always caution people, don't have any expectations in terms of how this money is going to be used. (laughs) You hope it'll be used for smart purposes, and that'll come to my next point in a second. But um, so the risk obviously is giving too much. Now, the other hand, though, you get to see an idea, you get to get a picture or an idea of how your children do handle money. Mm-hmm. It's when they get a lump sum. Yeah. So you can then begin to get some a framework. Did they take it, you know, buy a fancy car, fancy boat? Yeah. Did they take it and blow it, you know, on, on vacation? You'll know how to restructure the rest of the will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, or future gifts might mm-hmm. have a little different connection to them. Um, now, what about tax when it comes to something? Is there that's any the tax other benefit. at all? That's the other benefit. So now you can gift money and there's there's no tax, there's no limit to gifting. Right. But remember, if you're cashing in an investment, right. depending on the type of investment, the, the type, if it's a stock or yeah. a mutual fund, there's pro- like most likely going to be a capital gain. So you just need to understand what are the tax implications to the gift before you do it as well. Right. And be prepared for that. Now, remember, with capital gains, it's not like they're ever going to go away. You've, you're just always kicking it down the road, the can down the road until you decide to sell. Mm-hmm. So at any point in the future, either at death or when you do sell it, you're going to pay the tax, capital gains tax anyway. Mm-hmm. So deciding to pay some of it now might make sense in the, in, in the context that you're in a lower tax bracket, you can control the timing of it. Right. So you have much more flexibility over that. And of course, how much you gift is going to be part of that equation too. Right. So, so if yeah, it's you just also straight save, cash... If yep. it's just like from my bank account to yours, no tax no at problemo. all. No yep. problemo. But if it's an investment, then it's the yep. whole other implication. Now, the in. opposite of that was, let's say you never gave the, any of that cash that was sitting in your bank account and you died. And now it's going to be subject to probate tax. Mm-hmm. So they're going to charge you one and a half percent on mm-hmm. the value of that amount of cash. And there's going to be legal costs associated with dealing with that portion of the estate as well. So theoretically, if you were smart and knew, could see into the future, you'd do all this the week before you passed away. You do. And it's Mm -hmm. not uncommon where Don and I have had calls from uh, executors, or sorry, I should say uh, power of attorneys. Mm -hmm. They'll phone us and say, uh, mom or dad has had uh, a a stroke or Mm -hmm. a heart attack. We're concerned they're not going to make it. And Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything we should be thinking about? Yeah, And not in the context, you know, they're just trying to ask, keep us informed. And we definitely come around to the point about gifting. Is there an opportunity to do something right now before it becomes an estate and there's going to be more tax and costs associated with it? Mm. So gifting now is certainly a great strategy. Um, And then the final thing is just education. You know, as parents, we have to sort of keep the idea in front of our children about managing money. How do you use your money and what strategies can you, can you think about in terms of, um, of managing money? And, you know, it's like anything, some of times it falls on deaf ears, but modeling good financial habits is probably the key thing, but also trying to continue to talk about it and Mm -hmm. educate people about it so that you don't end up with somebody who's in a squandering situation. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, I'm going to move on from that and I want to talk about um, a product and I've been sharing this idea with a lot of um, retired clients today. And really what I've come to see, and we talk about estate planning too, is how complicated some people's situations get. And what I mean by complex is 
they've, through the course of time, they've opened up bank accounts here, the trust company, at the credit union, at a bank, and you know <clears throat> they've had GICs at this one. And, and they end up with a multitude of different financial institutions. And, uh, and even today in our just our regular day-to-day life, we have credit cards from one company and, and bank accounts mm-hmm. at another company. And, and so we end up with a multitude of different operating accounts. And so I want to talk about something we call it our all-in-one it's basically like a bank account that lets you consolidate all of your banking services into one location. And the, the beauty of it, we'll talk a little, some of the features and benefits of this concept, but the idea is two things. If you've got uh, debt that you're currently dealing with, this is going to help you pay off your debt faster. Mm-hmm. And if you've got uh, money sitting in bank accounts just to meet minimum deposits, this is going to let you earn interest on your money while it's just sitting there as well. Mm-hmm. So we call it our all-in-one banking. There's a, a number of different products out there. Investors Group does this uh, for our clients. We set them up. And basically, the, the concept starts from a home equity line of credit. So for those individuals that own their home, you can borrow up to 80% or have a line of credit up to 80% of the value of your home. And then this trickles into basically an operating bank account, but we've got a whole lot of additional features that you can add to this. But the goal is to simplify your banking, to simplify your bill paying, and to simplify your operating accounts, your savings accounts, your checking accounts, and keeping it all in one place with one piece of paper yeah. or one online login to be able to see exactly where you sit at any one point. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website andyanddon.com. That's all one word, andyanddon.com. You can uh, listen to old shows there and actually ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Talking about the all-in-one. All-in-one banking. So how does this work? Well, we start by consolidating all of your debts. So we take like your mortgage, any car loans, any lines of credit, etc. They're all put into the all-in-one. So all of your debts are in one place. And then Part two is you deposit all your monies that come into your household go into that account as well. Mm-hmm. So deposits, salary, ABM deposits, Interact deposits, pension income deposits, uh, bonuses, etc. Every time money comes into your all-in-one bank account, it lowers your debt. Mm-hmm. And every day that your debt is lower, you're earning a rate of interest that you would have paid mm-hmm. on that money, which yeah. is prime. Yeah. So 2.7% or mm-hmm. prime, it, be, it may be as high as prime plus a quarter as mm-hmm. well. So, but you're saving on that. Then you withdraw money from the account. So you withdraw money for bill payments. You withdraw money for cash. You withdraw money for debit purchases at stores, etc. You debit money for, you withdraw money for investment contributions, financing requirements, etc. So as you take money out, it raises your debt. Mm -hmm. So every day your debt is falling as money is going in. And it's rising while money's going out. But how often, when you think about your regular savings and checking account, you have money sitting there that's not doing anything for you. Mm-hmm. It's not earning anything, wow. and you're in, and it's just sacrificing any kind of a, um, growth on it. But if it's in your all-in-one, it's from the day you put it in, it's working for you because it's reduced your debt and it's reducing the amount of interest you pay. 
all kinds of other features about this that uh, I don't have enough time to get into this show, but we're going to talk more about this, I think, next week. Mm. And um, But I'm going to make an argument for why we should all have all-in-ones. And uh, in fact, we do them right now for uh, no cost to set them up. Mm-hmm. And that's assuming the minimum amount of the all-in-one has to be $75,000. Mm-hmm. And for anybody with 75000 or more, then uh, we can set them up for free for clients mm-hmm. as well. So hmm. uh, anyway, I'm going to pass the torch yes. over to Doc. And it's kind of <laughs> interesting to back, just to go on, on that for a second. I had an engineer years ago, and he would deliberately use his line of credit yeah. as, and uh, do this, any money in the bank account when it gets his line of credit, and then he wrote checks out of the line of credit to pay yeah. his hydro bills. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I looked at that and I said, wow, that's kind of off the wall, but makes sense because interest rates at a time where at least you got a couple percent, yeah. but his line of credit was paying you know, 7%. Mm-hmm. And so even for 20 days that he, it, the money was at least mm-hmm. paying down the line of credit, even though he had to pay it at the end of the month, mm-hmm. it added so many dollars a year yeah. and he had it all worked out right on a spreadsheet. Yeah. And our all-in-one is basically doing this automatically. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. And you think about something like an Airbnb. Mm-hmm. You're using your house. It's just it's an asset not being used all the time. Yeah. It's just an extra thing. So people rent out a room, make some extra money. Well, this is almost like that. Yeah. You've got this money sitting in your bank account doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Might as well be using it up against your line of credit, and therefore you're at least getting some value from it. Right. Okay. Makes sense. And this all comes down to, you know, what is your advisor doing for you? You know, you, you really should be looking at the big picture, not simply is he only looking after your investments. Well, that's an investment advisor. Mm-hmm. He's got to be looking at the big, the everything, the mm-hmm. estate planning, the tax planning we talked about earlier. Um, and it comes down to it looks there's four pillars of advisor trustworthiness that particularly high net worth clients expect. Mm-hmm. And one is professionalism. They want to have somebody that is a, a certified financial planner, minimum. Okay, they, they, want, they don't want a salesperson. They want somebody licensed. Anybody can get a license in this business and call themselves a financial planner, and I think that's wrong. Mm-hmm. They should have at least a CFP um, or at least working on one. Um, Andy and I have had ours for uh, 30 years each practically. So, mm-hmm. and, and there's 40 hours of courses per year minimum that mm-hmm. we have to take just to keep that up. But then on top of that, there's other, you know, other letters you can add besides your name, a, a certified um, a CLU, mm-hmm. Charter Life Underwriter. There's the EPC course, Elder Planning Council that Andy and I took. And there's always courses to kind of up your game because mm-hmm. we love putting this puzzle together. And it really is. Every situation is a puzzle. Secondly, there's a process. You know, high net worth clients really don't want to talk about the latest and greatest product. You know, yeah, they all have features and benefits. They want to see what is the process that we are going to take them through to accomplish their goals. Yes, products are part of every process. We do need to put money in different things, whether it be the Mm all-in-one to consolidate debt and reduce your interest costs. Or maybe it's it's an annuity, as Andy mentioned, to get uh, your retirement paycheck. Or maybe it's T-series to get an income out of investments without paying any tax and keep your income under the old age security clawback. But all these things come into a process. So you have an exact game plan. Communication. You know, is it, uh, yeah, I only see my financial planner uh, usually uh, RSP time and Mm -hmm. and that's about it. Well, no, communication is part of it. But again, it's both sides. The phone does work both ways. And there should be expectations. And... Certainly, I know Andy and I, if somebody calls, we have somebody there that is there to answer the phone. You're not just going to hit an answer machine. If mm-hmm. you do, because our, our assistants are away, there will be somebody back to you within an hour, mm-hmm. for sure. 
and they can answer most of the questions. But it's nice to know that you have that resource and you're not sitting there Googling stuff hoping that you're getting the right answer Mm -hmm. because we know your situation way better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. In fact, last week, an accountant was giving advice to a client of mine and I said, okay, that was good advice as generic, but it doesn't apply to this client because most of their money is in a corporation. They didn't have much money in their own name and he was giving advice not knowing all their investments. And really, we should be on the same team working with the accountant. And lastly, it's transparency. You know, we're, we have no problem in discussing, you know, what are the investment charges, okay? We we've both feel that we're more than well worth it because you are getting a lot of services for that. But again, nice thing is CRM2 um, that's coming out this year. You're starting to see a lot of the transparency in the fees, which is great because now some institutions may not have been giving any of this advice, and they're saying, wow, what am I actually getting for this fee? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know this was here. And, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, dealing with somebody like Andy and Don, a real financial planner that goes over all the planning areas would be far better suited for you. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, we'll see Scott. You next week. See you next week.